I'm really glad to be preaching this morning even without the usual amount of notice. And I usually am not like that. But I've been pondering and thinking about our scripture passage this morning ever since I went on that pilgrimage to Palestine and Israel in May, and I visited Caesarea Philippi. And so in that way, I've been preparing to preach for you. Um, Caesarea Philippi is on the base of Mount Hermon. It's a beautiful area, a natural formation of rock and aquifers of water bubbling to the surface. The springs from the aquifers flow into tributaries that flow into the Jordan River. Here's a picture. It's here where Peter proclaimed Jesus to Jesus, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I had the privilege of serving communion in Caesarea Philippi next to the banks of this stream. It made Jesus' words come alive to me in a new way. So let's pray as we begin this morning. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to your holy word. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. May your word be alive to us, inspiring us and guiding us, that we might be formed as your people, all to the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So please listen to our passage this morning, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 to 23. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. For you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this exchange between Jesus, Peter, and the disciples. It's a turning point in Jesus' ministry. He's been teaching around the Sea of Galilee region, and he's traveled off into this pagan, non-Jewish area. The disciples must have wondered, why are we here? Because it was long a place for ancient worship of Baal, and then a place of worship for the pantheon of Greek gods. So here's a cliff with the grotto for Pan. And as part of the pagan worship of Pan, people came from all over to party to make sacrifices to Pan, which were then thrown into the grotto right here into this pool. 
And I tell you, the worship was a bit of an orgy, people, because Pan was a god of shepherds, livestock, and mountains, and played a role in fertility and sexuality. People could pick their favorite demigod to worship, the god Pan, the um, nymphs, Zeus, the sacred goats, and more. There are all these niches, at least seven different niches. We have a picture of some of the niches that show you where these demigods' statues were held. This was a natural grotto with flowing water that flows from those natural aquifers. The ancient people worshipped their gods here because they believed it was the gate to the underworld that the gods lived in, going to and from earth back to the underworld. Because of how the water flowed, they believed, from the center of the earth. This rock formation is called the gate to Hades, the very reference Jesus makes. And Jesus stands here in this pantheon of Greek gods and asks, who do they say I am? Is he a minor demigod in the Greek pantheon with his own little niche? Well, no, we know he isn't. Jesus isn't about to be establishing happy rituals and sacrifices as the way to worship him. He isn't going to be confined to this little grotto, but he has dominion over it. The gates of Hades will not prevail over Jesus' followers, over Jesus' beloved community, because Pan's not a real god, and these rituals, well, they're meaningless to help the needs of the people. Jesus isn't the local demigod, of the people from the Sea of Galilee, but he's the son of the living God, the son of the living God with dominion over all the world. And Jesus' community is going to be solid as a rock formed by people. Jesus is building his church on this network of followers, starting with Peter and these disciples. The beloved community won't be contained in a single place, and it will be built upon what Jesus is about to do. Because from here, Jesus is turning his journey to Jerusalem, the home of the holy temple of the living God, the place where he will fully reveal who he is, where he will be arrested, crucified, buried, and rise from the dead. Who do you say that I am? Asked Jesus, and Peter answered, for all of them, you are the Messiah and the son of the living God. The disciples have been with Jesus throughout this ministry, and they've interpreted Jesus' identity from their shared Jewish tradition. Messiah is the Hebrew word for anointed one, meaning someone who's anointed with power, political power, divinely ordered rule. The disciples saw that Jesus was indeed an anointed Messiah with power. They also saw that Jesus didn't just claim to know God's truth, He claimed to be God's truth. Jesus was the son of God, the living God, as compared to these Greek demigods. The disciples saw healings and exorcisms. They saw the blind being able to see and the lame being able to walk. They expected that Jesus would show more power and be that Messiah that politically redeems the people of Israel from their oppression, from the Romans. Now, Jesus will redeem them, but not in the way that they expect. The living God's covenant with the people of Israel, spoken by the prophets, was, you will be my people, and I will be your God. 
And God was still their God throughout all of these centuries, but the people of Israel had turned away from God, and Jesus chose the only way to reconcile people with God. Jesus chose the necessary thing. He began to explain to the disciples what that necessary thing was, that he must go to Jerusalem, undergo suffering in the hands of the people, be killed, and on the third day, be raised. And it shocked the disciples. It shocked them. A Messiah is supposed to be a victor, not a victim. Peter couldn't help himself. He said, no, Lord, this can't happen to you. But something radical was needed. A redeemer was needed. A redeemer is needed for us. A redeemer is needed for a world where neighbor kills neighbor because of political, brief, uh, political belief, because of their race or other differences. A redeemer is needed in a world where the vulnerable are abused. A redeemer is needed in a world that was made to be good, but has become darkened and soiled by brokenness and depravity. A redeemer is needed in a world where we're essentially these frail bodies of stardust surrounding an eternal soul, an eternal soul, but with a body that deteriorates and breaks down. Can you feel your body breaking down? <laughs> we need something. We need someone to change the fabric of the world, to change the fabric of a deteriorating creation. We need a new heaven and an earth. We need peace. We need wholeness. But the problem isn't just outside us, friends. There's a part of the brokenness in the world that we are a part of. Sometimes we don't recognize that we're part of the brokenness of the world. Sometimes we don't recognize, like Peter, that we're part of a stumbling block. We're a stumbling block in our own path often. But when you find Jesus and you start to know him, and when you seek to know the grace of the Lord, then you start to realize something else. There's some darkness in us. It isn't just outside of us. So part of the process of knowing who Jesus is is a calling to understand who we are deep inside. We are beloved and broken. Those are not mutually exclusive. You are beloved and you are broken at the same time. And we struggle to understand this from our human reasoning. You know, for me, as somebody who came to faith as an adult, for a long time, Jesus' death as a redemption honestly made no sense to me. It was a stumbling block for me that somehow Jesus would suffer for God and that that could make the world right. Can you imagine anyone who's a parent, anyone who's loved someone else? How can harming someone, a third party, make the world right for those who had caused sin to come into the world, those who had brought grievance? Jesus' death never made sense until I fully understood if indeed I understand as best I can in human reasoning that unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son of the living God. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together chose to absorb the fullness of sin into God's own self. Jesus makes the choice to absorb brokenness and death publicly on the cross. And it doesn't make human sense at all, but it makes divine sense. That's why Jesus rebukes Peter, Peter using human sense. Theologian um, Marisov 
Wolf has written a lot about how to understand why Jesus died on the cross, how that can be redemptive. He's a theologian who is formed by his own experiences in Croatia, seeing neighbor kill neighbor. And this is what he wrote. He wrote, the cross breaks the cycle of violence. Hanging on the cross, Jesus provides the ultimate example of his command to replace the principle of retaliation. So God absorbs the injustice and brokenness of the world. God absorbs violence and death and retaliation and rises up after death on a cross. Jesus chooses to be the necessary savior for humankind. He breaks the cycle of violence and he breaks the cycle of the cycle of decay for our eternal souls. Jesus walks with us through the broken world and promises a new heaven and earth on the other side of death. But why? Why do we have to wait for that reset to that new heaven and earth? It is hard to wait. Those of you who's, who've experienced loss, who've grieved, it is hard to wait. I tell you, that is a big stumbling block for all of us because we walk by faith, not by sight. And sometimes we walk with heavy, broken hearts. But for now, we're given the gift of choice that we might choose to follow Jesus, that we might walk by faith and not by sight. We can choose Jesus. So I ask you, who is Jesus to you? Some people grow up as children in a family of faith where Jesus is introduced to them, and then they grow into adulthood, and they make their own decisions about the identity of Jesus. And that wasn't me, but many of you have that experience. Sometimes the process of figuring out who Jesus is involves a lot of inquiry and wrestling for people of all ages. And for still some others, doubt is a constant companion. They believe, but they doubt, but they struggle, and they want to believe. You know, some of us are stuck in doubt or confusion about who Jesus is, and we know it. We're living with broken hearts that need hope, and hope can be hard to grasp sometimes. But some of us are stuck with a small, false image of who Jesus is, and we need to challenge our thinking. We have our own version of a false demigod, of a false projection of Jesus. We have our own little happy grotto, you know? You might have your own little false one-dimensional Jesus in your own little grotto, rather than the real and complex Jesus of the Bible. Some of these false grotto Jesuses might be familiar to you. They're the smite my enemies Jesus. Or there's the kind and gentle codependent Jesus, don't make me change, Jesus. There's the fix all my problems, Jesus. There's the happy to see you once a week on Sunday, Jesus, closely related to glad to see you on Christmas and Easter, Jesus. There's the Santa Claus priest, please bring me gifts, Jesus, and I'll be grateful. So Jesus asks, who do you say that I am, and how do you answer I know that when our false ideas of Jesus don't deliver, then we have doubts. Well, that false Jesus was false to begin with, friends. You know, I used to think that if I could have seen Jesus walking around on earth like the disciples, that, that would erase any of my doubts or any of my problems believing. Some people amongst us are blessed with a simple and easy faith, but maybe that's not you, it's not been me. I've had to grapple. 
And you think about it, the disciples around Jesus, they didn't understand him either. The people around Jesus have always had to do the hard work of figuring out who he is. And you and I are the same way. But we've been given this choice like the disciples. They took the leap of faith. They followed Jesus to Jerusalem and beyond. So we have to choose to follow. We have to choose to follow the God who sacrifices, not the one who's asking for sacrifices. We choose to follow the God revealed in the Bible and not our own made-up false Jesuses. We have to choose to examine ourselves. Where do we add to the brokenness of the world? Where are we creating rocks that we stumble over? And so I ask you, where are you in your journey of considering that question, who is Jesus? Are you stuck on the mystery of the cross and how that works for redemption of, me, of humankind? Are you tempted to seek a Jesus that just meets your wants and needs? So don't stop considering these questions about Jesus. And sometimes, though, we consider them in a vacuum. But friends, we need to read the Bible. We need to read the Bible. That's where we'll learn who Jesus is. We need to read the Bible and pray. We need to talk to others in an open way, sharing our struggles and our questions with openness and receiving grace. This church is a place for your questions for wherever you are in your journey. Remember, this is Jesus' church, and it is built on the rock of who Jesus is for you, the love that Jesus has for you. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it or against us. So choose to go deeper in your journey with Jesus. That's our firm hope, that Jesus chose us, that we might choose him. Do I hear an amen? Amen. amen.